This is Conversations with Corliss, the podcast that features real and inspiring people who are leading their lives with purpose, passion, and confidence. Through their stories, advice, and expertise, you will be empowered with tools and insights to become the leader you are meant to be. Your host, Corliss, is a Dare to Lead trained, certified success principles coach, best-selling author, and inspirational speaker. As an entrepreneur for more than two decades, she has coached, trained, and mentored thousands to tap into their personal power and realize their potential. Through her company, Corliss Co., she will help you dream again and break through what holds you back from leading the life you want to have. Connect with her today at corliss.ca. Hi, everyone. This is Conversations with Corliss, a real leadership podcast. Here we will talk about all the things it takes to bravely lead the life you deserve. Welcome to the conversation. You may have guessed it. My name is Corliss, and I created this podcast simply because I want to help people and make a bigger impact. You see, one day I woke up in my 40s and realized time stands still for no one. With my kids more independent and my career not as fulfilling as it once was, I found myself wondering if this was it and what was next for me. I went looking for answers to recreate my life, and I found them in having meaningful conversations with inspiring people. That's what we'll do here for you. Whatever you're looking for, I'm glad you're here. Aging has given me the invaluable insight that we should make every moment count. It's time to take charge of your life, to rise up and be all you can be. This podcast is meant to help you do that. So let's get started. This is episode 066, Find Your Voice Through Vulnerability with Alan Keller. If real and raw conversations are something you enjoy, settle in because this one offers both. Brene Brown said that vulnerability is not winning or losing. It's having the courage to show up even when you can't control the outcome. Often, we feel out of control when we have the courage to share our truth and put ourselves out there. In today's conversation, we get right to the heart of vulnerability and why you must find the courage to be real with yourself and others. Ellen Keller knows firsthand what it feels like to have lost your voice, and he also knows what it feels like to have found it. He has dedicated much time and energy to strengthen the conversation around mental health so that others don't have to suffer in silence the same way as he did. He has learned that vulnerability equals strength. The more we share, put our walls down, and get real, the more we connect with others and most importantly, with ourselves. So welcome to the show, Alan. After spending some time with you and listening to your keynote earlier this month, I'm so thrilled to have you here and to share you with my audience. Thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome, Corliss. Happy to be here. So tell us um, about vulnerability and where it begins and where the root is, because most guests that come onto the show uh, have a backstory that's connected directly to the topic that they're sharing about. So why don't you kind of get us familiar with Alan and who you are and, and why this is something that you speak to and you love sharing with people now? Yeah, what a loaded, loaded question. Let's just dive right in vulnerability for me Corliss was it was hard it was hard to remove that proverbial mask it was hard for me to let people in and I grew up small town Saskatchewan where we didn't talk about things like mental health I had no clue what addiction even was and so in hindsight when I look back at my struggles which really started in grade eight 
the problem was that it had never been modeled that it was okay to talk about one's pain, to be vulnerable, to reach out for help. I didn't have men in my life who who could demonstrate that for me. And what ended up happening was I just internalized everything. I suppressed all my pain. I didn't talk about it. And because I didn't talk about it, I was the one who suffered more than anyone else. But you get to a place where you realize this is not working. Like I, I have to do something. Obviously, if we want something different, we have to do something different. And in time, I was able to reach out to some formal professionals. But, you know, Corliss, what happened for me the very first time that I met with a formal professional, which was a doctor, I, I spoke about my challenges with mental health for the first time. And I felt like this doctor didn't see me as a person. He very much went through this checklist. You know, do you eat? Do you sleep? Do you cry? And I was mortified. And there was no eye contact. At the end of that appointment, he he writes a prescription, hands me a piece of paper. And that was my beginning with pharmaceutical pills to manage my challenges with mental illness. And so my first crack at vulnerability was a tough one. And wow, what followed was, I think I saw almost 30 different mental health professionals. I was on a combination of 12 different pharmaceutical pills in a span of six years. And I was hammered with so many labels. And so initially I'm like, okay, this is what happens when you're vulnerable. It, there was so much shame and so much stigma. And, and it took me a long time to recognize that through vulnerability came rewards. Okay, what a what an incredible start here. You're right. We're jumping right in because your story is is loaded with a whole bunch of reasons as to why you would withdraw instead of be vulnerable. So, just expand on that a little bit. What happened next? So, how did you go from, you know, being medicated to owning your power through vulnerability? I found that as I started to share my experiences with others, I felt better. I started to understand that the act of feeling is what led to healing. And the more that I was able to slowly let people in, the better I felt. But I also found that the Western approach to my challenges with mental health were not working. I reached a point, Corliss, where I realized I, I have to try other alternative therapies or I simply will not be here. It was that clear. And I started to meet with all kinds of different alternative healers. I tried Reiki. I drove for hours all over the province of Saskatchewan, Alberta, trying to find a different way. And what I learned is that what works for me won't work for others necessarily, but I understood the value of an open mind. And you talk about vulnerability. I was a compulsive gambler. And I found that there was so much shame in that one. I was also an alcoholic, but that one was easier because I think our society has understood that that's a legitimate addiction. But with the gambling, I was I always said, like, there, there has to be other people who are struggling with this. There just has to be. 
And when I went to all these 12-step programs for Gamblers Anonymous, I never saw young men. So I actually rented a church basement in Edmonton, and I decided to start my own support group. And initially, nobody came. Like the first three weeks, nobody came. But eventually, someone did, and Global News actually picked up this story. And what I found interesting is that when you create this space around a common theme, eventually, people will come. Because after three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, then we started to grow. And as I started to connect with other like-minded individuals, I started to hear my story through their story. And just like that, I realized that I wasn't alone. And vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And I think we as a group just fed off of each other. We went to those places and we could connect. And when we started to share our experiences, we felt better. And that carried over through Alcoholics Anonymous. It carried over through bipolar support groups. And every single time that I was able to get myself into those spaces, while it was very hard to be vulnerable initially, I always left feeling better because I was able to get some of that darkness out. And right there, Corliss, I think in large part is the very definition of healing. The more that we can get the darkness out, the more room there will be for light. Oh, I love that a lot. You know, so often we just feel like we're alone in our struggles, don't we? And when we open up our hearts and share courageously, we somehow, it's like we just create a little space for something else to creep in. Is is that what you're saying? 100% because I found out very quickly that we are actually only alone when we choose to be alone. And I spent way too many years isolating, withdrawing, swearing. I was the only one who had these challenges. But the world is literally at our fingertips. Resources are everywhere. And it becomes up to ourselves to act on what is readily available. But for so long, it was the victim. Woe is me, the V on my forehead. And that did not serve me. And it was only through vulnerability that I was essentially able to find my voice. Hmm. One of my favorite quotes by Brene Brown, who of course is, is kind of the first person I think to speak very openly about vulnerability. She said this, vulnerability is not weakness and that myth is profoundly dangerous. Vulnerability is the birthplace of connection and the pathway to feeling worthy. If it doesn't, if it doesn't feel vulnerable, the sharing is probably not constructive. Mm. Well said Brene Brown. Brene Brown. Yes. She's, she's amazing. So now having this conversation here today, like you had some connection to addictions and to gambling, as you've already talked about. So is, do you find that people look for something temporary that's going to make them feel good, like on the outside? Is that a normal response to feeling struck with struggle and don't know what to do? Most definitely. The definition of addiction for myself, Corliss, is very simple. It's a way to live outside of ourselves so that we don't have to be with self. I had no relationship with myself. As soon as I met with a professional, as soon as I had family members, people who were trying to get me to feel, to go within, I reacted and responded with anger. That was my defense mechanism. Do not make me connect 
with self, because if I do that, there's going to be a lot of pain. And so it was easier for me to turn to self-harm, uh, various addictions, basically to live outside of self. And the short and sweet is this. It is logical to want to leave pain behind in exchange for pleasure, isn't it? Mm, totally. And that right there is the foundation of what causes a lot of people to turn towards addiction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So at the conference, you had spoke about how just because you're smiling doesn't mean you're alive. Is this, is this kind of what we're talking about here is that, you know, you can put a smile on and yet inside you kind of feel like you're dying. So you seek outside resources or outside things to make you feel better on the inside and it only lasts for a short bit. Yeah. There's a great line that says all that it takes is a beautiful fake smile to hide an injured soul. And those were the words of the late Robin Williams. And when I read that for the first time, I could really relate because I excelled in athletics and academics. On the outside, it would appear that I had everything going for me, you know, top of the class, national scholarship recipient. But on the inside, as I alluded to before, was just so much pain. And the problem was I had no clue how to talk about the pain. And I think that to some degree, we can all relate to that idea of wearing the proverbial mask. And while the mask serves a purpose over time, it becomes exhausting. And I think that for me, it has been recognizing or having an awareness of when I'm wearing the mask, but making sure that I take time to remove it and actually go within and put a voice to some of my struggles. And I'm fortunate now to have people around me who I trust and who help me to navigate through a lot of the things that I sometimes momentarily suppress. So how did you begin to find that place that you could be safe and feel that it was okay to share and that you could trust? How did you do that? Because I think a lot of people who are struggling with keeping their truth inside and, and not sharing it is because they have a history of people hurting them or not supporting them, or they, they take the step and they say, okay, I'm going to like share it. And then they get shut down. Where did you begin? Like, I know you said that the pain was strong enough that it forced you to, and you knew you had to make a choice, but how did you find the safe place to do that? Yeah, it's hard. And how often doesn't that happen? Just like you said, Corliss, where finally we give ourselves permission to reach out because often we have a very small window. And if we are met with judgment or if we feel like we were not seen and we were not heard, it is very easy to put our walls back up quickly and revert back to those old destructive behaviors. And I was someone who I was like, well, okay, I tried. It didn't work out. Um, it's easier to go back to those old behaviors. It's harder to keep trying, to keep trying. And just because it didn't work for one doesn't mean it won't work for another, where you will experience some sense of freedom or liberation from those feelings. And you always have to take a risk. But what's the alternative? And, and so for me, I think I just I just kept trying in my own way. And eventually I was able to meet with a few people who I felt really heard me, really saw me. There was a teacher, his name was Ian McNeil, a professor. 
at the University of Alberta. And this is a prime example of someone who took the time to see a young man who's in pain. And he took the time to listen, not fix. Because I was a student in a class that had 300 other students. And this professor, Ian, after lecture approached me, he came up to me and he said, come to my office now, let's talk. And right there, I was like, what? I have talked to you maybe a handful of times. Like, well, like, what's this all about? But that was an afternoon where I felt like I just, I had to start letting people in. And I felt like I could potentially trust him. And so on that afternoon, I actually walked up to that third floor. His office door is wide open. I walked in and I remember he, he pointed to a chair and he asked me to have a seat. And then he leaned forward, fully engaged. And he said, how are you doing today, Alan? And that right there is different because, you know, that question, how are you doing? It's so damn robotic. But it changed when he said today and when he used my name. He made it personal. But I don't know what the number is. It's like 7% of the way that we communicate is verbal. The other 93% comes from tone, mannerisms, posture. And it was in that moment where I realized he really genuinely means what he's asking. And that was, a, was probably the first time in years that I was willing to take off that proverbial mask. And I just said, okay, Ian, you want to know? And I just, blah, 10 minutes, blah, I just talked. He did not interrupt me once. He just listened. And, and I think what was interesting about Ian is he understood that we all want power. We all want control. And so the question that he poses, he says, Al, are you happy? Just like Ian, no, no, man, I'm not happy. And so then he says, well, what are you going to do about it? And at that point, he gave me resources. And I understood that it was then up to me to access those resources. And he just continuously supported me. But because of Ian, because of that moment on that afternoon, he helped me to understand that there were people who genuinely cared. And sometimes it's just one. It takes one. You know what's fascinating? I was speaking in Bonneville. Bonneville? That's ah, all a blur. I think it was Bonneville, Alberta. I had 700 educators. And I, I told this story. And after that keynote, there's a guy who emerges from the audience who says, Ian McNeil changed my life as well. I was about to drop out of university. And Ian totally changed my life. I was like, it's amazing. It is amazing. It takes one. Okay, I have goosebumps all over. Bravo to you, Ian. But truly, if you look at the power of his example and showing that he cares and taking the time and being that person who actually did take a genuine interest in care, look at the impact that his his work or his caring is doing because it's living on through you and through the other student and who knows how many other, right? So incredible story. Thanks for sharing that. Now, you've talked before about the two basic human needs, see me, hear me. And um, is that kind of a, a general, like, you know, everybody, no matter what age, what gender, where you come from, is that pretty much what everybody's seeking is see me and hear me? I think so. 
I think so, Corliss. I think that is absolutely universal. The tagline that I chose for the business was to be seen, heard, and supported. Because when I look back through all of my struggles, I never wanted to be fixed. N none of us do. I think that at the root of everything, yeah, we want to be seen, we want to be heard, and lastly, we want to be supported. But considering the theme of this podcast, the only way that we will ever, ever have those three things met is if we give ourselves permission to be vulnerable. And to take a risk, like you said, it only takes one. And just because you haven't had that experience with someone yet doesn't mean that you're not going to. And there is safe places that you can seek out as well. There is there is people who will hear you, who will see you and be there to support you. Yeah, 100%. There was a, a woman recently. This was a smaller group. And she raises her hand. I'm halfway through a chat. And she says, do you ever feel, Al, like the entire world is out to get you? And that brought me back to where I once was. Because absolutely I did. But that was a time in my life where I was the victim. Woe is me. And I think that that becomes a mindset. And as soon as I realized that the world is not out to get us, as soon as I understood that it was up to me to create my own happiness and stop waiting for people to potentially save me, like what I'm saying is I had to learn how to do the work. And that's just it. Healing is work. I think, I think often we have this notion or this belief that healing is, uh, I don't know, magical and it's, it's hard. It is so hard. And again, in large part, if we want to heal, we have to be vulnerable. We have to be truthful. And as an addict, mm, I mean, lying, manipulating was just a way of life for me. Hmm. And, you know, if the individual doesn't want to change, whether we're talking someone else or ourselves, then change just won't happen. So you have to make that decision that you want to change. That's what I'm hearing kind of consistently throughout your sharing and your story here. Yeah. And here's another thing, Corliss, which I find very interesting. The talking circle. I've started to utilize the talking circle after a lot of my keynotes where I sit down with different supervisors, superintendents, managers, whatever, various leaders, and they are able to be vulnerable and just talk about some of their challenges. And there was a woman recently when, when the talking stick gets in her hand, she looks at me and she says, ask you. I was like, well, okay. And she says, once again, the focus is on the person who's struggling with mental illness. The focus is on the person who's struggling with addiction. What about me? And she goes on to talk about how she spent years supporting her husband who really struggled with mental health and addiction. And her point was, who is there for me? Why is the, the focus always on the person struggling? What about the person in the supportive role? And that is a very valid point. Because I think that often that individual is, is feeling such helplessness. Like we always want the people that we care about to, I don't know, essentially be happy to access the resources available. But like you said, Corliss, if someone doesn't want change, change will not happen. But then what can often take place is we lose ourselves in the journey of others. And this is where it's almost like a three-legged race where we, we tie ourselves to the other individual. And then if they fall, we fall. 
And that's a whole nother conversation where you have to learn how to almost take your power back, how to surrender to the things that you cannot control. Mm-hmm. How to surrender to the things that you cannot control. And you're right, that is a whole other topic of conversation, but it's worthy of, of talking about, you know, I you remind me of a friend of mine who her husband was in a in a tragic accident and he became a paraplegic and everyone centered on how terrible it was for him. And and it was obviously terrible for him. His life, his career, everything as he knew it was changed by that accident and but then I watched her over the years be his caregiver take care of him and it was almost like nobody was really thinking about her they were thinking about him and that it was you know looking out for him or supporting him nobody realized that her life changed with it as well and I and I think that's okay for us to include in today's conversation that sometimes it really is just hard it just really is and as as much as we want to honor our feelings. I think that's part of vulnerability is just to not deny them and to just say, Hey, this is how it feels no matter what your situation is. Yes. Yes. And I would fully agree. Life is hard. It is that simple. Yeah. Actually, if there was one word to describe life, that's probably the word that I would use hard. And I feel like most people would never guess that about me because I am often very uh, outgoing. I am smiling, but like everyone, you know, I have my struggles. And the, the difference is that today I have understood and embraced the power of using my voice. I have people around me who can sense when I'm struggling before I can, and they encourage me to access the resources around me. Mm. And it can take time to find those people, but they are there. I have the most exciting announcement to make. Well, actually, I'm not able to fully make it yet, but as a loyal listener, I wanted to invite you to be in the know by joining the Lead Conference Canada waitlist at corliss.ca slash lead 2023. All I can share for now is that on November 3rd and 4th, 2023, we are bringing an incredible lineup of professional and inspirational speakers to our province to empower you to lead your life in a new and exciting way. Plan now to join us for two days of connection, motivation, and inspiration. When you join the waitlist now, you will be the first to learn about our speakers as they're released and have the chance at the best pricing available as an early bird. Join the list now at corliss.ca slash lead2023. So Alan, what was your, like your hardest, or maybe you've already described it. If you could think of like one circumstance that was just so incredibly hard for you to have the courage to openly share about, whether as a public speaker or as a mental health advocate, or maybe in your own personal story, like what was the hardest thing that comes to mind? It's just like, that was so hard for me to talk about. Oh yeah, that's, that's easy for me. So I spent most of my life trying to harm or kill myself. And I guess I, I really didn't understand why I hated myself so much. I loved smoking at an early age because I felt like I was killing something inside. I loved drinking alcohol at an early age because I felt, again, like I was killing something inside, drowning my demons. But 
as we know, eventually the demons learn how to swim. And trauma is fascinating. And where I'm going with this is only once I left behind the destruction, the addictions, and I had support, could my body unleash some of that trauma. And I started to, to get these flashbacks. And I started to recall being sexually abused throughout my childhood. And first of all, where, where do you go with that kind of pain? You, you do not just call up people and say, hey, this is what I'm going through. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm remembering. You, you talk about shame. You talk about disgust. You talk about lack of resources. I had a very hard time. Uh, I had a hard time staying alive that, that year. And there is no way that I could have publicly talked about my abuse because when I put a voice to it, I was, oh, I, I don't, I don't have words. It was just disgust. Um, I felt misunderstood. I felt, I felt it was very hard to stay sober. Now the saving grace was this: that in Saskatoon, there was a Saskatoon Sexual Assault Center, and I'm pretty sure it was only the second group of its kind. It was a support group for men. And I realized that if I did not get myself into that space, I'm not sure I would make it. That was the magnitude of my shame. Um, when that first group happened, I, 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 I really have no words to oh, articulate the fear. Hmm the shame, the disgust, the embarrassment, just to get into that room. And I did, I did. And what threw me is I guess there was only one other guy. And I, I, I don't know, I was expecting a lot more. And I was very close to running, um, but I didn't. I just sat by the door. And when that support group started the counselor asked a question which i don't even remember what it was but i i broke like i just i just really broke down and i was so close to running and the only guy there the only guy he 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 says the words that save my life and like truly he says it's okay al i get it and oh, that one that hit me because it's in that moment I realized, wow, that is actually all I ever wanted. I, I, we talked about this before Corliss, like I, I did not want to be fixed. I wanted to be seen, heard, supported. You do not get that unless you have the courage to walk into a group like that, to be vulnerable. And, and that was the game changer. And you know what's interesting? I went to that group. It's an eight-week program. I probably went six times. The last time that I went, 13 men were there. 13 men. Wow. And I was so moved by that. I think we finished the program with seven, which, I mean, it makes sense because it is hard. It is so hard to look at some of that. Mm. But... um. Without me going to that group, without me 
being able to work through a lot of that pain. Um, I'm, I'm not here. Uh, I'm not here. It's, it's that simple. Um, and honestly, another saving grace was, and this is twisted gratitude. I, I lost my best friend, Justin Andres to suicide, but that also, I would say if, if I'm being transparent and honest was another thing that saved my life because I saw how that played out. And Justin Andres, my best friend is just another one of those driving forces that is behind everything I do today when it comes to mental health and, and putting a voice to my experiences and empowering others to find theirs. I am finding it hard to find words myself. Um, thank you. Thank you for sharing that story. Wow. So appreciate that. And the words of it's okay, I get it really those summarize the two human needs of being seen and heard, right? It's okay. I get it. I can't imagine how profound that must've been for you to hear those words, like from someone else who actually saw you and got it. That's vulnerability in itself, isn't it? Is to, is to be able to share our stories and, and somehow connect to the fact that the hardest of times we aren't alone in those and that the, the trauma can be um, healed if we do the work and we connect with other people who understand us and will support us. Thank you for being that light for all of us, Alan. That's, that's um, really amazing. Talk with us about your best friend. What was he like? And, and um, is there any part of his story that you'd like to share here and how it impacted you? Oh, that is... Uh... That is a lot. That is um, that is a loaded question. You know, he was the individual. Justin was the guy who was always the life of the party, always smiling on the outside. And what I have found interesting over the years is how many people say that this happened last week, too, where there was somebody within a workplace who died by suicide. And I, I came in and facilitated a talking circle. And the, the conversation was very much of all people this is the last person that I ever thought would die by suicide because he was always so outgoing, so friendly, so happy. And we really do not know the magnitude of people's struggles, right? We think we know, but just because someone's smiling does not mean that they are happy. And that's a cautionary tale where I think that it's it's the little things, you know, it's it's checking in, it's making sure that people really are okay, that they know that we're willing to listen if they ever need to talk. Uh, going back to your question, Corliss, you know, losing Justin, um, my, my, my go-to emotion was anger, as it is for many men, but I was just so pissed off. It was the, how, how could you? Uh, I was a counselor at the time. I was trained in all this. I took it so personal. It consumed me. Uh, yeah, it it absolutely consumed me. I remember talking to an elder who I respect, and I said I said to her, "Why him? Why was I saved? And why was 
he not? And her answer was perfect. And she said, you have no right to ask that question because you have your journey and he has his. And it's so simple, but it was so profound because there's a great proverb that says, let go or be dragged. And I understood at that point that I, I, this is not mine to carry. There are so many lessons from that loss. And um, the, the one thing I, I find really interesting is that the veil between the physical and the spiritual world is so thin. And in many ways, I'm actually closer to Justin today than when he was here physically. I did, I did not see that coming. Wow. Wow. You sure have been through a lot. And I see that you've created purpose from the pain of all of the stuff that you've been through and all of the suffering and all of the challenges. You have done an incredible job of not only leading your life, which is what I talk about all the time, but you've done it in such a way that you've created purpose and power from it, Alan. Thank you for who you are. Thanks for taking an interest. I mean, you, you say it perfectly from the ashes, we will rise. And I think we can all speak to that. You know, when we can turn our pain into some kind of purpose, that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And it doesn't have to be through some kind of a stage or a podcast. I mean, every day we are truly in a position where we can impact people's lives. And you've said the word connection numerous times. You've mentioned the word story numerous times. We all have a story and nothing has the power to connect us like our story. And finding the courage to be vulnerable enough to share that story and to, to share your truth can, can actually come full circle to creating purpose from the pain and from our own stories. Amazing. Is there anything else that you think that um, everybody should know, you know, on this topic? Or is there some words of wisdom that you feel like you still want to share on this topic? This is just gratitude. You know, I, I guess I wish I wish I could have understood that pain was not permanent. But I I I mean hope is everything. Hope has always been everything for me, but obviously hope also requires action. You have to be willing to do something about it. And I think for me, that was the game changer uh, where I started to actually, yeah, let people in. Uh, I started to put a voice to pain. And because of that, I realized that uh, I wasn't alone. It's like if you if you find yourself sitting in a, a dark room, are you the kind of person who just sits there and waits for someone to rescue you? Or are you the type of person who will get up and try to find a light switch or scream or try to get help? You know, and I, I, I think through that metaphor, I, for a long time, would just sit. I would just sit in complete darkness. I know what it feels like to have lost my voice. And I know what it feels like to have found it. And I just hope that people... Uh, anyone listening has the strength and courage to be vulnerable, to put a voice to their pain. And while it's difficult, I guarantee you it 
has the potential to provide numerous rewards. Hmm. It does. And I would say that I align with that completely, even with my own story. So Alan, what's coming up for me here now is what if you don't feel like you're worth it? You know, to stand up and fight for yourself and to find the light switch and to keep fighting. And like, what would you say to that person who's like, I don't know, I'm not really worth it. I don't know if I am. What would you say to them? Well, that was me. That was me to a T. Um, I never thought I was worth it. I never thought that I had value. I still struggle with shame. You know, I am a mistake versus I made a mistake. That comes up repeatedly. And I think, oh man, there, there actually is no logical reason why I should still be alive after life that I've led. Um, other than I feel like I'm just here to carry a message. And, and I feel like I, I mean, I'm far from religious, but I'm very spiritual. And I think that we're all here still because we have unfinished business. And if that was not the case, then I think creator would say, time's up, it's time to come home. And so I think that for anyone who's sitting in that place that I was, or, you know, of absolute shame and feeling like it's just not worth it anymore you gotta you gotta wonder why you're still here and and you're still here because like i said before there's unfinished business and who knows how one day you can use your story like like there is it's what you said before corliss pain to purpose i saw none of this coming but you look at every single individual who has gone through challenges of, of mental health or addiction or trauma whatever i mean Pain is pain, comes in every, every shape and size. But, but when people are able to overcome that, it is so empowering. And I will stand in the corner of anyone who has the ability to put a voice to their pain. And I think that's where I'm going with that question is I would just really encourage that individual to dig so deep and try being vulnerable. Because the shift in social media is that I would say five, 10 years ago, for sure, if somebody were to talk about their challenges with like addiction, trauma, mental illness, they probably would have been, um, it wouldn't have been met with as much compassion as it is today. Because what's beautiful is when people talk about their sobriety date, for example, or overcoming some kind of challenge, they are getting compassion they're getting uh, applauded, you know, for that effort. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing, which to me means that we're moving the right way. Oh, that's so true. You know, when I started showing up on social media, I had to like prep myself. I would, because I had to put on the armor and, you know, show up a certain way because I thought people were going to be judging me. And of course, on social media, you have no idea who's watching. People can hide behind a screen, right? And I would like prepare my message. I would do my hair. I would do my makeup because I don't know if this is the same for you, Alan, but for women, it's like I'm going to be judged if I don't look a certain way. So it would take me forever to create content. And then during COVID, one day I showed up I just had something to say and I showed up with my hair in a ponytail and in my pajamas still having my morning coffee because it just felt like I have to say this right now I'm in I'm in this and I really felt like everybody was in it during COVID so 
I was like, okay, I'm just going to go live. So I went live. That video went completely crazy with the responses of people like, I feel like I can see you. I, f- I feel like you're me. I, you're saying things that that's how I feel. And it was crazy, the response. And I was like, oh, for goodness sakes, all I have to do is show up and just be myself and share my honest truth in my pajamas. And it doesn't matter what I look like. And everybody's going to be like, I feel this. I'm like, well, that's easy. I could do this every day. (laughs) Now I'm not always going to show up in my pajamas with my hair undone. Obviously I'm a professional, but it really taught me something about just being vulnerable and owning our truth and being who we are. We're underneath it all. We are all the same. We all have our struggles. We all have things that we've been through that are difficult. And somehow in sharing those, we give, when we share those, we give ourselves permission, but we also give other people permission to be human and to feel it as well. How cool is that? Good for you, Corliss. It's it's a great reminder, you know, and I am the same. Uh, Elders always remind us, just, just wear your words. People want two things. I think, and especially from leaders also, people want authenticity and the theme, vulnerability, right? They just want, like you said, real. Mm-hmm. Yes. And we should be very mindful of the words that we say matter too. And in the social media world, I just want to say this, that we need to practice kindness because we never really know the state of the person that's on the other side of the screen. I had a particularly difficult month um, recently, and it was a it was a difficult month. I just had a series of things that had happened that were really challenging, and they were just normal life things, but it ended up with a really tough week where I had to be outside shoveling in the freezing cold. I burned my face and like the wind burned my face. My skin wasn't even good. I was exhausted. And I had a particular struggle with a financial setback that I was not prepared for a significant one. Just all these things happened. And it was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. You know, it was just like, it was, it felt really heavy and really hard. And it was just like, gosh, when is this going to end? And I like to pride myself on being a really positive person and I can turn it around and I can find the good. And I certainly practice gratitude, but That day, I was like, you know, it's really hard to be positive right now. As I was outside trying to boost my son's car in the freezing cold and, you know, bothering my neighbor to come and help me and just all these things were going on. So I posted this picture and just said, you know, sometimes it's hard to be positive. Now we need to choose that and we need to make that choice. But we also don't need to deny our feelings about this. So I shared this story. And one of the things that came out from that was a hater, so to speak, decided to message me privately. It was a fake account, so I don't know who it is. But anyway, this person messaged me and said, why don't you just stop posting and go die, you deadbeat? That was the exact words. And I read that. And at first I was like, gosh, what kind of state is this person in that they would you know, take the time to message another human being this. And then the second thought was, thankfully, I have the tools that this is going to roll right off of me. And I'm going to just let this go. I'm not going to let this sit in me. But then it made me think on the other side of that, what if I wasn't in a positive mental state? And that could have impacted me so 
terribly, like in such a terrible way. So I think we have to be very mindful of who we are, how we're showing up to not only be courageous in being vulnerable ourselves, but to really support people when they're being vulnerable too, wouldn't you say? Wow. Yeah, there's a lot of lessons in everything that you shared. Thanks for sharing all that. Uh, words are power, 100%. And while I can totally understand that hurt people hurt people, it's still hard to receive a message like that. And yet somehow I feel okay to share it because I think sometimes we get it. We People say things to us that we it can affect us and we always have a choice with that as well. So if you're in a state of struggling with something and you've been vulnerable enough to share it, you get to decide whether or not or whose opinion you really take in and really hold to heart and you can find someone else, you know, that will support you. So just, just keep fighting, keep moving forward and... Um, and it's there. It's there for you, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. We're all human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, so, exactly. Well said. Alan, with that, I'm going to I'm going to close the podcast with the last f- couple of questions here. And I would like you to just finish your story because you told us where you were. You've kind of told us how you turned it around. But tell us where you're at now. Because I know that you had so, such a beautiful life now. You live in a great place. Not that it doesn't come with some challenges, of course. But tell us about you, where you're at now. Hmm. My life today just could not be more different than, than <laughs> what it was. I mean, I am so blessed and fortunate to have a beautiful wife. We have four healthy kids. We have four fur babies. We have, you know, four dogs, this little five pounder rules our house, but just the, the love, I always had a hard time accepting love. I had a hard time loving self and I had a hard time loving others. And between my wife, uh, my kids, um, the dogs, you know, just learning kind of what we've talked about that, that I am worthy. We're all worthy of love, of, of happiness, of moments in peace. That's uh, wow. You know, I'm full, I'm full. And then on top of it, to be able to put a voice to some of my experiences and help other people to perhaps connect to my story or get them to reach out for help or more than anything, just listen uh, that's icing on the cake. I never thought that some of my challenges could <laughs> turn into like a career, you know, like I left, I left the world of teaching and counseling to do speaking full time. And 13 years later, I'm still, still going strong. And it is, it, it, it it's redemption. It's, uh, it's gratitude. And I do not, I do not take it lightly and I do not take it for granted and my prayer is very simple it's always just use me I have a very limited time here as we all do and I always just ask that that I can be uh, of service 
just like I can't help but just smile ear to ear. You guys, he's the real deal. I knew that the second that I met him and I listened to him speak and then I had a chance to talk with him afterwards when we had shared the stage uh, in Yorkton, Saskatchewan. And it was just so empowering to listen to you because you really are here to serve. And it's like when you say use me, you're talking to a higher power and just like allow allow me the chance to be whatever vessel it is that you're looking for and deliver whatever I'm supposed to deliver while I'm here. Yes. Yeah. You know, in Corliss, the, um, it, that is it. I often just feel like this little messenger where, where sometimes I know you can relate to that words come through me or the, the last book that I wrote on men and mental health, you know how that transpired? I was shoveling snow in uh, in my driveway, and honestly, it felt like a shovel hit me in the head. I thought somebody had actually hit me over the head, and the whole book was just like, poof. The whole skeleton presented itself, and I actually threw my shovel in the snowbank. I ran inside. I grabbed my laptop, and I typed out the whole outline of that book, and that night, Corliss, I had a, a vision. I'm not a vision kind of guy. And there was this long line of people and they're all handing me a piece of paper. And then I'm looking and I'm like, oh, this is their story. Oh, wait, what? These are all men. Oh, this is supposed to be a book on men and mental health. And then made a couple of calls and men just started appearing who were willing to be vulnerable to share their story. Ten months later, off we go. I just, I'm laughing because I've had that experience. Mine was in the shower. I was like having a shower, not thinking about anything. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait a second. Huh, I got to put that into action. And I literally like hopped in the shower, dripping wet pen and paper and just frameworked an entire course and an entire program. <laughs> so I, I'm laughing because I know that experience is like tapping into really like that kind of inner knowing. And sometimes when you're not thinking is when you're thinking and like the best messages show up, right? Totally. That's awesome. Good for you. And good for you. Thank you for sharing that. And your happy story, um, your wife, your children, your dogs. I just got to say, like way back when, however many years ago your journey started, you probably didn't imagine that this would be your life now, did you? Oh, God. I saw none of this. Nope. Nothing. So that means that there is hope for anybody who is feeling like I don't see anything ahead here. I don't know how this is going to turn out. There is light and darkness. You can use Ellen's story as your inspiration. Keep pushing through. Keep going. Be vulnerable. Stay strong. Have the courage. Keep fighting. And it's going to be okay. In summary, Corpse. So, Alan, I do have three closing questions, although I'm going to laugh about one of them because you had shared with me that you're not a reader. And I think it's so funny because you wrote a book. <laughs> so tell us, tell us um, if there was one resource, whether it be a book, a podcast, a, a movie, a YouTube video, I don't know, anything that you really think that people should you know, listen to, maybe a particular speaker. Is there is there someone you'd want to recommend? Corliss, that is weird because I actually don't listen to any podcasts. I don't listen to YouTube videos and I don't read. Um, but I I did read a book. Uh, one of my good friends, Clint Malarchuk, he wrote what I found to be an exceptional book. It was called The Crazy Game. And you talk about resilience. 
what Clint Malarchuk has gone through is unbelievable. And, you know, he talks about his challenges with mental illness. And if you're not familiar with who Clint Malarchuk is, he was the goalie for the Buffalo Sabres who had a skate cut his neck and he also, he almost bled to death in front of everyone. And he had a suicide attempt where he still has a bullet in his, in his head to this day. But like me, he feels like he's just here to carry a message. And I've been fortunate to travel with him and be on a lot of stages and and call him a friend. Mm, Wow. Okay. I did not know that story. And I happen to know someone who I have to get that book for right away. I know they'll, they'll very much appreciate that. So let me ask you a secondary question to that. Then where do you draw your inspiration? Because a lot of people read books for inspiration, listen to podcasts, watch YouTube. Where do you draw your inspiration from? I think just other people who repeatedly are willing to be vulnerable and share their story, whether that's on social media, uh, like you, I get to meet with thousands of people after the talks that I do, and they are willing to share their experiences with me. And uh, that's my fuel. It, 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 it's, it's like, even when I was doing counseling and, and now I do coaching, but I always thought, you know, I've heard everything. I've heard everything. And no, it is, it is unbelievable what people can persevere through and, and rise above. So I am repeatedly inspired through story. Mm, I love that. And some people might, you know, draw on stories through podcasts or books or wherever you draw on it by real life conversations with people. So I love that. Great. Thanks for sharing that extra question or that answer to that extra question. So this is a leadership podcast. So what does leadership mean to you? If you could summarize it in a few sentences. I think that leadership people often feel is a title that one attains over years being in a particular position, whereas to me, I mean, anybody can be a leader and leadership requires action. And I I alluded to this earlier, Corliss, but I really think that, and this has changed over the years, people want to see a leader who, like yourself, demonstrates vulnerability, authenticity, and just is totally okay being themselves. Hmm. Vulnerability sounds like it's the pathway to real leadership. Love it. Thank you. Now, the very final, final closing question. If, you know, you've been through a lot in your life, obviously, we've heard a lot of that story, and I'm sure there's more to it, and we look forward to learning more from you, and I'm going to highly recommend that you get his book, that you follow Alan, and that you do everything that you can to stay connected, because he's got quite a message and and a lot of really valuable teachings that we couldn't fit into this podcast. Visit his website, connect with him, definitely do all those things. Now, based on, you know, all of the highs and lows and everything that you've been through in your life, if you could leave just one final piece of advice, what would you want to leave people with? John Bradshaw is a phenomenal speaker. And I taught at a lot of different colleges and I'd always show a video by John Bradshaw. And there's one line that I really love. Uh, he, He encouraged us to just be ourselves, to be our authentic selves. And he He says, for example, if you're one of those kids who's got that snort in your life, you know, where it's people will make fun of you for having that snort. And the saddest thing that can happen is that you stop or suppress the snort. But if you can just be yourself, eventually someone's going to come along who will say, like, I love that snort. (laughs) And I think (laughs) 
It's, it's that simple. It's just be your quirky self. Stop trying to please others. That was me for a long time, wanting to make sure that everybody liked me. Um, wow, that is exhausting. If you can just give yourself permission to be your authentic self, you will naturally attract those who you are supposed to attract in your life. Incredible. I cannot thank you enough for being here today, Alan. Thank you for sharing your story, your wisdom, your just every part of what you've shared here today has been so valuable. And I know the audience appreciates it as much as I do. Thanks again. Awesome. Thank you, Corliss. If you enjoyed this episode and it brought you value, make sure and share it with a friend or screenshot it and post it to your Instagram story or Facebook, tagging me at Corliss Co. I know the most precious of all commodities is your time, and I want to thank you all very much for spending this time with me today. Remember, you have the power to lead. Know your worth, embrace your value, see you have purpose, and be the leader you are meant to be.